0: Welcome to Startup to Scale, a podcast by Food Bevy. I'm your host, Jordan Buckner. Join me as I talk to aspiring entrepreneurs, seasoned industry experts, and everyone in between as we unlock the keys to growing from startup to scale. Hey, everyone. Jordan with the Startup to Scale podcast, and I'm really excited for today. We're kicking off a the first of our three-part Mini series on finance with Alice Zhang, who's the founder of My Pocket CFO. This is going to be a really fun series where we're diving into everything kind of financing for CPG brands. So for today's first conversation, we're going to be covering financing and capital raising for CPG brands. Talking about everything from overall strategy, getting your balance sheet and P and L ready for financing and fundraising. How to tell your company's story through numbers and the pros and cons of each approach. And so, with that, what I would love to do is just do a quick intro of Alice, who's joining us. As I mentioned, she's the founder of My Pocket CFO, who which is a one-stop platform to make finance management for e-commerce companies simpler. Alice has been serving in a CFO and fp a planning capacity for Fortune 500 companies and e-commerce startups in the last decade. She's raised $25 million in VC funding and over $10 million in alternative financing before, and she is a McKinsey and Wharton alumni. Alice, welcome.
1: Thank you, Jordan. Thanks for having me.
0: I love it. So I'm excited to just jump right in. So I'd love for you to talk about how an e-commerce or kind of emerging CPG founder should think about capital needs and where to get it.
1: That's a a great question to start. So I would say to start with, in terms of a thinking model, I would categorize the ways to finance, including equity finance, into three categories. I would say to start with, that would be self-funding, including friends and family funding, right? Um, So typically when you have an idea, as a founder, you want to work on a very, um, I would say, on a a, a very focused audience to test out if the idea or concept has legs. In that case, typically you would foot the bill initially by yourself or your family or friends. Um, So that would be the first category. The second category I would say, um, I would call commercial financing. And there are a bunch of commercial financing companies out there and it's very popular uh, nowadays. There are um, a list of, uh, I would call digital lenders out there you know, from Shopify, Capital, all the way to um, Settle, to uh, WayFlyer, you mentioned earlier, and to uh, a number of other ones. For this type of um, financing, I call them typically it's either cash advance based on a projected future revenue coming in. I would say Shopify Capital is a typical example of that. The second subtype of that would be collateral based debt financing. And I would say um, companies like Settle, companies like uh, Kickfurther and a number of other uh, digital lenders, they finance based on um, either, um, I would say like an inventory, a PO of a co-packer or inventory, or they finance based on um, a collateral like uh, receivables from your wholesaler or retailer, right? So that would be the second category, typically, um, it's more short-term financing your day-to-day working capital needs. And typically they charge a market rate of uh, anywhere between 15 to uh, 18 annual percentage rate. The third category, I would call it um, equity financing, as um, you all know, we call usually fundraising. Under equity financing, there are also different subtypes, I would say. to start with, there's crowd, there's uh, equity crowdfunding platforms like Republic. I know many e-commerce companies go there, and uh, obviously there's there there are angels who uh, write typically safe checks to uh, e-commerce founders. There are also and what's a,
0: and Alice. What's a, a safe agreement?
1: That's a good question. Actually, uh, it's an acronym. It's almost like a. Um, a, a I would say a note they write it to you to let's say if I you know I want to invest into Jordan and the uh, the, the bar company you uh, you founded I would basically say hey Jordan I can borrow the 25k to you so I write a note to you and um, you can return back in certain time frame if you have a uh, next round of uh, financing back in in institutional investor, then that 25 k uh, landed money can be converted into equity. So that's a safe note. It's a concept invented by uh, YC, Y Combinator.
0: I think it stands for simple agreement for future equity.
1: There you go. You are an uh, expert. And then I would say um, the third subcategory would be institutional and typically we call VCs, right? Institutional VC investors, obviously they have Um, They have more muscle in terms of internal resources to carry out more systematic and structured due diligence. Uh, And typically they pay more attention to your key financial metrics. They do benchmarking. Um, They do pretty thorough analysis on whether or not your company would be a good fit for them to invest in you for the long-term growth. So those are the three broad categories. Any questions there?
0: Yeah. And when founders are starting out, about how much money do you see companies putting into the to their own company, either from their own investment or um, investors at the very beginning?
1: That's a good question. I would say it depends on the type of company you're funding. Um, of all the clients I've served, I have seen where founder and their friend's family put in, you know, somewhere north of 250K or even 350K, there could be a really small amount like 50K put in. So so it's a wide range, really depends on how much extra capital you can afford, right, to to put into this experiment, how convicted you are in uh, this idea or concept and, how and how much you're willing to put out. So, um, so it really depends. But I think the parameters you th- should think about is how much money it will enable me to carry out experiment. You know, whether to say I, I want to try out with with ten customer or or twenty or thirty customers or get their feedback or run some survey or run some uh, run a batch of test product to test it out. So it's really a, I would say a founder's
0: call. I love that you use the language around experiment because that was a, a game-changing kind of a philosophy that a mentor once taught me because as a founder, I thought that when I first started, I need to have all the answers and create the perfect product from the beginning. And as any founder can tell you, your first idea is never be, is never perfect and it's never going to be the long-term idea. And so the, a very good way of approaching it is by thinking of it as an experiment so that you have a hypothesis to say, hey, I see this consumer need and uh, my hypothesis is that we can solve it in this way with this type of product. And the funding that you need at the very beginning, like you mentioned, is designed to run experiments and tests is that solution going to solve the consumer problem? Does the consumer problem even exist that you think it is and for how many people? And that gives you initial, um, the initial kind of traction to know if you have product market fit or not. Um, and as much as you can test it out at the beginning, the le- higher likelihood that your company has to be successful, right?
1: Yeah, totally. And And think of the capital need um, I, I would say from the investor's perspective. So all those outside investors from commercial lenders all the way to equity investors, they are, um, they're looking at the risk return ratio, right? So obviously commercial lenders, they're, uh, they, they, they're investing in something with, I would say, very low risk and moderate return. And when I say low risk, it means you already, you're posted revenue. So they have the revenue there, they can project with reasonable confidence level, or they have the collateral, meaning they have the receivable, the, the invoices or the inventories they can collect as a collateral. So overall, uh, it's fairly low risk and it's moderate return in terms of 15 to 18% annual uh, interest rate you have to pay. And then for equity investors, it's high risk, right? High return, right? Um, So high risk in the sense that for equity type of money, typically they're looking at return in terms of multiples, right, like a 2X, 3X, all the way to 10X and 100X of the capital they invested. So that's um, that's very high return and, and they're looking for corresponding risk. So um, if you, I would say do reverse engineer, what you need to do as a founder is, how, is to show to the investor how I can de-risk my startup business, uh, my ideas so that the investors feel like it's a good deal, right? Uh, so it's, it's, um, if they're looking for something low risk, you can show them like, this is truly low risk. Look, I have, gen- I have consistently been able to generate, you know, 20K, 30K, 50K each month of my Shopify uh, revenue and uh, for the past two years, that's the risk for commercial lender, right? Um, I show them to, okay, I have consistent uh, invoices to this wholesaler or, or retailer and they have been consistently paying me again. So that's collateral and that's the risk. Very similar to equity investors. If you can show to the equity investors, I have done, look, I have put in 50K, 100K of my own money to run the experiment and all those 30 customers in the pilot experiment loved it. And here are the proofs I can show you. That's the risk, right? So that's why in the beginning, just to experiment test out the concept, um, the risk is extremely high and it might be challenging to get outside founders, uh, investors, sorry, outside investors until you have de-risked it to certain level. And then you can go there to show the proof and to say, hey, I have de-risked it, de-risked it and um, to, to make them feel more confident that their capital can have the type of return they can uh, expect.
0: But well, Alice, I hear, talk to so many founders who think I have a great idea and I'm making $1,000 a month at farmer's markets. I wanna raise $5 million. Why aren't people giving me money? <laughs>
1: Right, so so my advice to the founders is that it's kind of like climbing a staircase. Again, think in a reverse engineer way from the investor's mindset. Don't think from your own mindset, from your own perspective. Try to get into the mindset of an investor. And if you are shooting for an investor who you know, if you're seeking for, you know, let's say a meal or two meal type of investment, think what, you know, what the mindset of those investors might be looking like, and they would be looking something for how you can de-risk. Um, you know, if they invest in one meal, they're probably expecting your revenue, um, you know, to, he typically, you know, it's, it's, of a valuation, right? So to begin with, your valuation should start five or six mil or even go up to 10 mil, right? Um, For that kind of valuation, there are certain expected revenue to be generated from your business. So um, you really need to think from an investor's perspective, what's their risk mindset, risk-return mindset? And uh, what's what's their economics model? they're thinking and then try to do reverse engineer that would be overall approach
0: i think that's a a a great a great way of approaching it and so a lot of founders will also say like hey i know there's these different ways of raising money what are the pros and cons of each of the approaches
1: that's another good question and i would say again try to match the characteristics of each approach to your business's nature and business needs, right? Like I said, in the initial proof of concept stage, it's better to put out some of your own money or from your friend's family who know you, who is really investing their money in you and in your idea and not expecting, you know, I have to get this return, right? So. Um, to match the stage with the type of invest to the stage. And then when you are post revenue, when you start selling on Shopify, on Amazon, on wholesaler and retailer, that's where you have amassed some of the assets, I would say, right? Either in terms of expected revenue or um, assets such as inventory and um, receivables. So uh, in that case, there are, Today, nowadays, there are widely available uh, digital lenders, uh, digital financing tools out there. And, and it's easily, you can get those type of financing like right away in a click, pretty much within minutes or hours, right? Um, but those capital, I would say, the pros would be obviously quick and easy money. The cons would be, typically it comes in a smaller amount. And um, as a percentage of your sales, or as a percentage um, of your your uh, working capital. Um, so, for example, if you you know if you I would say for and um, for um, digital lenders like, like Kick Further, they typically I would say finance about ten percent of your uh, revenue level, similar with Settle, and. Um, and they also just finance a percentage of your overall outstanding invoices. Uh, it could come in, uh, if you have, let's say, 500K revenue, and uh, 10% is only 50K. So uh, that's, that's that may not be a big enough amount. And if you need a bigger amount to really finance your long-term growth, like getting into a new market, getting into a new channel, you may need to go out seek for... Uh, equity funding, and they could come in, you know, at anywhere, you know, to 250K, 500K, a meal, uh, a few meals. And, um, and you can climb the ladder. You don't have to shoot for equity funding right away. That's what I would recommend for um, the, the staircase. You know, go for, go for a commercial uh, lending, debt lending first to, to prove that you can run your daily operations and do some leverage there. And then once you, you're done that, then in terms of the equity funding, go for, uh, go for, I, I would say, you could try some crowd equity funding. That might be a good way for you to get your names out there because those people may not know you, but they may be attracted to the business you're around. So that might be good for you to test the water of your business model and your name, just get your names out there. And then um, next, you could try for angels. Angels, sometimes, again, they may invest in you, may invest in your business. And angels, typically, they could serve as great, great collectors to introduce you to institutional investors. And angels could serve as a great, um, I would say, uh, a, a, a person to back you up a believer to support you in raising more funds from institutional investors. That's that show of support is a great uh, credibility to to lend it to you. So um, yeah, so so basically I think that the the golden rule is try to match uh, each type of financing um, tools to your specific business needs. If it's more experiment, if it's more daily, Try to match it with more commercial lenders and, and your, uh, your own circles uh, money. If it's more of a proven business model, you're ready. You have a business plan, you have operating plan to shoot for, to, to go to the moon, to shoot the stars. Then try to build up the supporting, I would say, community like the angels, and the crowdfunding platform. Try to build it up all the way and, Then to which lead to the institutional investor. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, I think that's a really great overview in terms of selecting everything. And so now that founders have an idea of what type of financing they might wanna go after, um, a big part is kind of showing your existing business metrics. And you do that through your profit and loss statement or P&L or your uh, balance sheet. Uh, so, how do you actually, as a founder, get your PL and your balance sheet ready for fundraising?
1: Yes, yeah, so that's the homework and preparation you have to do. And, and when you refer to fundraising, I suppose that means um, equity fundraising, right? Equity financing. Um, let's start with PL. So, I would say step one, you need to get your historical PL correct. And accurate um, by practicing really good bookkeeping and uh, accounting activities, meaning close your uh, monthly accounting book in time and get all your transactions correctly reflected um, in the in the right category in your accounting book. Right, that's something actually. My pocket safe. I'm gonna do a plug in here. Uh, my pocket safe can help you to get the building blocks. Correct first. Once you have the right building uh, building blocks, I would say um, what I typically do is I would have a PL, historical PL review session with the founders. That's where you look at your historical performance and you try to parse out and see um, what are the levers you have used in the past. And how well those levers worked. For example, um, by looking at your historical PL, you should be able to tell okay, um, what's the growth rate of my quarter over quarter or year over year of my business in the last, uh, let's say, two years, right? Um, what is my gross margin looking like? Is it healthy or um, I have some room to optimize my gross margin? How is my marketing spending and the uh, ROI of my marketing spending looking like in my business? And again, are there any ways I could optimize those? So getting, I would say, sink your teeth into those specific metrics into your historical PL is a great way to um, get some insights from what you have done before uh, and have an assessment of how well those uh, inputs uh, in terms of inputs in generating the expected outcome. Once you have that kind of understanding, it's going to greatly help you in building out a forecasting, right? So an investor would always want you to number one show their historical PNL and number two show them a forecast. to start with a forecast PNL, and in year one, um, typically at least the year one to year three, so three years of forecasting. If you understand how well you did in terms of what are the things you have input in in dollar amount and what are the output those input has generated, you are at much better position to do the forecasting in terms of thinking, okay, um, can I do something to improve? The efficiency of my marketing dollar spent. Can I do something to improve my gross margin? Can I do something to uh, um, to accelerate my growth? Uh, maybe by developing, you know, uh, by going into more national chains instead of or, or on top of uh, independent stores, for example, right? Or can I um, can I accelerate my Shopify and Amazon by? optimizing some of the, uh, the, the the gross marketing tactics so um so anyway so that would be something look at your historical p l try to extrapolate out um, the levers and how how much improvement you can do those levers try to extrapolate out into projecting your future p l so um, and that would I would say that would be the core the investor would be looking at historical PL and forecasting model for the next one to three years. And when it comes to balance sheet, I would say investors typically just look for one thing in the balance sheet. They're looking for is there something, you know, some abnormal debt uh, on your balance sheet that they should be aware of? As you know, equity money comes after. You have to pay off the debt. So um, that's why it's more of a risk control um, factor that they look at your balance sheet to understand uh, if you if you have any debt financing, how much of that debt financing you have. Is that high enough to pose as a risk to equity owners?
0: No, those are all really great points, and I feel like a lot of founders get scared by their financials because they don't fully understand them, and it leads to a problem of them doing it incorrectly if they're doing it themselves, Um, and and that's not good. So I always recommend they they get help by uh, working with someone like my pocket CFO or working with an accountant that they have um, to make sure that it's telling the right story because most founders would just like give investors all. The the information. And that also leads to more problems. You know, I just remember one time I sat down with a potential investor and I printed off our sales by like by week for the entire year. And this isn't our first two years of business. And every week the sales went up and down and up and down, but that looked worrying to the investor because they're like, whoa, why why are your sales down in September compared to August? It's like, well, the Whole Foods buyer was out sick and they bought a lot the month before. So we didn't sell any this month and just made for like a really rocky uh, financial picture versus if we showed our numbers in like a quarterly view, then it would have told more like the trend line for our growth story. And so it really Help me understand that your numbers, while you know, both situations, both sets of numbers were true and accurate. How I presented those numbers told a different story. And so I'd love to hear from your perspective, you know, how you help companies use their numbers to tell a compelling story.
1: That's a great, great question. I love that question. And before I talk about how to build your story using the financial numbers, I would say yet yeah, never share your weekly numbers with the investor. That's all, almost always it, it would be a noise than um, a signal to, to, to any type of investor, right? What I would recommend to all my clients is um, especially an early stage, I would say pre series A stage, a quarterly, um, both in terms of historical PL and forecast PNL quarterly. Um, p and would serve the purpose. Don't even go to monthly. You could do internally on a monthly basis, but share quarterly is enough to show the trend line. Like you said, it's all about the message you send in a very concise, clear and simple way. Like don't add unnecessary details to distract the investors, right? So that's just a simple tactical advice is um, stick to quarterly.
0: Yeah, definitely true.
1: Yeah, okay. And then in terms of how to um, build your story, right? um, It's it's great. And I have been doing that pretty much for the last decade since my McKinsey days, it's all about um, storytelling. Um, I would say, think of the way as the numbers is a result. The numbers is almost just like a dot. you know, on a piece of paper, on a blank sheet of paper, right? It's just the end result. What you need to add and wave into those numbers is to um, give the context uh, of how those numbers can be, you know, linked together to show a trend line, right? Uh, How, what are the colors of those numbers? How you achieve those numbers? Everyone achieve those numbers in their own unique way like multiple passes could lead to the same number. So that's where actually I think it's, you should view it as an opportunity to uh, tell the full story of a colorful story of a hero's journey, right? We always say every founder um, is a hero's journey story. So think of that, how you can tell your hero's journey to the investors by enriching that number with a lot of context, a lot of color in terms of, um, okay, I made, um, you know, 1 million sale of last year. How did it do that? And, um, it, it, and you know, um, how, for example, uh, how fast did I, how fast uh, I, I reached to that one meal in the past two years? So uh, you, you, that's the way you could link multiple numbers. You could say my growth rate for the past two years is like double every year, right? So, so you give more context to that number. Um, the other thing is like I achieved, you know, um, uh, I, I would say I, I spent only 20% uh, in, as uh, marketing spent as percentage of revenue but I drive to X revenue. So so you need to link those numbers together to tell where you start, what was your intention, uh, where you want to drive towards, and this is the outcome it shows, right? So those are, so first, I would say first step is see those numbers as all connected and, and see those, put those numbers into, I would say into three boxes. One is what are the input what are the input numbers meaning what are your spending right like you your you put some input into into the input box uh, what what are the numbers there and then there's the output number output number in terms of your sales your your some of the metrics your your uh, gross margin your operating uh, margin those kind of things right so the input number the output number and the blank box is where you can uh, you can explain uh, how you drive that, what's your intention, uh, what's the efficiency, how effective it is. So that's the, the first layer, more technical, right? And then I would say more sophisticated founders, they would layer on top of that technical explanation, they would layer it with more qualified, uh, I would say qualified characteristics or attributes. When I say qualified, I meaning it can, it may not be measurable, but they would tell something about uh, their background, you know, I have ten years of working with retailers, wholesalers. I worked with hope like whole foods for in my previous job. Therefore, you know, like my you know my my trade like my trade spend efficiency is much higher because I have some like deep know how. So like blend those blend your personal uh, edges or advantages or expertise into those numbers to show this is the know-how you have. This is unique advantage you have in driving those numbers, right? If it's a fairly, if it's a relatively not so good number, explain why, you know, that's very important. It's not about what, it's always about how you did that and why, right? So I think that the more sophisticated and and probably better storytellers, they would blend those more um, more personal stories and, and about their background, their uh, specialties, uh, or or some in industry specifics, know-how, like insights into into those numbers, and and, and th- that story, you know, would be a blend of science and art. Uh, always, you know, works better because it connects with people both on the emotional side uh, as well as on the more logical side. I hope that makes sense.
0: It totally does. And I think that was perfect. Alice, this has been so much fun for our first episode. There's so much really great information and content, both from a strategic level and from a very tactical level. level. So I really appreciate you being on. For our founders listening, be sure to check out our second episode that's going to be released on Wednesday. If you're listening to this live or um, if you're listening to it later, you'll see the episode number two in our microfinance series. For anyone interested in getting in touch with Alice, feel free to check out My Pocket CFO. And for our listeners, she's offering a special discount where you can actually try their auto bookkeeping for introductory price of $99 for three months. And then it's just $199 per month after. To get that, um, feel free to shoot Alice a email. We'll put that in the show notes. And she'll also share the working capital financing option list, which is a breakdown of different companies, their rates, and which ones might be a good fit for your business, and also a fundraising checklist. So Alice, thanks so much for today's episode and looking forward to um, having you on the next one.
1: Thank you, Jordan. It's really fun. And I look forward to the next episode.